It is again great to be with you this morning, and uh, first service was phenomenal. No pressure, but it was pretty cool. And, and cool, and I'm, I'm looking forward to what we're going to do today together. We're in Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we'll be in uh, one verse in chapter 1 of Philippians and a few verses in chapter 2. So you've got your Bible or your Bible app open up to Philippians. We'll get there in just a bit. We started several weeks ago a new series called Joy Matters, and I think joy matters. Everybody think joy matters. We all want more joy in our life. And uh, we talked in the first week about we can find joy in partnering together, how important it is that we actually labor alongside each other and that that can bring joy. Last Sunday, we talked about something that was tough. It was difficult for a lot of you. How it's possible when we have a change of perspective to actually experience joy in the midst of struggle and suffering. And I said last week, I'll say it again, I was not uh, belittling the pain that some of you are in right now, but focusing on Jesus and on what he wants for us and the good that he can bring as he redeems, restores, renews is the secret to experiencing joy in the midst of struggle. Today, I want us to consider something that is extremely important to me. I am very passionate about this. But it's important to Paul, and most importantly, it's important to Jesus. And it is this. It's a profound challenge to you. And I make no apology for the fact that it will be a challenge to you. A profound challenge to walk in, live in, and practice unity as Christ followers. To live in, to walk in, and then to practice unity as we are in Christ together. One of the greatest marks of our faith ought to be unity amidst diversity. Let me say that again. One of the greatest, greatest symbols, one of the greatest proofs, one of the greatest marks of our faith in Christ ought to be unity amidst diversity. No one, including Jesus, expects us all to be exactly the same. The expectation is not uniformity. I'm glad that there's nobody else in this room like me, and you are too. Uniqueness is okay. The goal is not to be all the same. And in reality, there is and there always will be extreme diversity in the church and among Christians, and that's not always a bad or evil thing. In fact, I'll go this far. Our unity, despite our diversity, is the point. Despite the fact that we're different and the fact that we can then experience oneness really is the, where the power is. In the first century church, there were slaves, free Gentiles, and Jews that experienced worship together. And the first century looked at the church and they thought, what is, how can that be possible? That slaves and free, that Jew and Gentile are actually worshiping the same God together. And it rocked the first century. In the 21st century, there are a lot of variety still, lots of variety in the church. There are Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, probably a few anarchists in this room. And listen, I don't care where you fall on the political spectrum, but let's just acknowledge that there's a vast difference in the church. There are Asians, African-Americans, Latinos, Anglos. I could go on. And then in the church at large, there are Baptists, Methodists, Catholics, Charismatics, and a whole bunch of others. And here's what ought to happen. The world ought to look at you and me and go, Wow, there must be a God. How is this possible? They ought to look at the church, capital C, the church of Jesus, and go, there must be a God because there's no way that guy and that guy are gonna like each other or that gal and that guy are gonna like each other. They, they, they should be looking to Jesus, drawn to him because of the unity we have. Unfortunately, in fact, I would say tragically, too often, the church, and I, I hope this isn't true of us that often, but let's just say the church, which would include us, we repel a watching world rather than attra attract them to Jesus. We repel them. They look at us and all our infighting and all our, uh, our, uh, the hate and the dissension, the divisiveness and the attitudes and the ugliness and they go, why would I ever wanna be a part of that? We repel them rather than attract them because we're not one. Our culture is deeply divided and polarized. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, more so in, in my lifetime, probably I haven't seen like this since the 60s. And it is deeply divided, deeply polarized, and we are experiencing all sorts of tensions in our culture. And that bothers me, that concerns me, it does. But frankly, what breaks my heart and what I believe breaks the heart of God is that we're seeing that in the church as well. Christians fighting with Christians, Christians calling Christians mean and ugly and vile names. And we're to be one. We can be different, but we're to be one. I love this quote by pastor and author, uh, Joshua Ryan Butler. It's in a book called Pursuing God. This guy's a friend of my son's, and uh, it's his birthday. So Josh, if you're watching, happy birthday. But I ripped this off. Here's the big idea. Completely took it right out of the book, The Pursuing God. He said, Jesus didn't die so that I could hang out with my buddies. He died to reconcile a gloriously diverse humanity. Jesus didn't die just so you can hang out with people just like you, who look like you, sound like you, talk like you, smell like you, do like you. He died 
to reconcile, I love that word, to reconcile a gloriously diverse humanity. That's why he came. And here's what Paul wrote in Philippians 1, verse 27. He said, whatever happens, I think that includes a lot, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I could spend a half hour just talking about that. Live like you belong to Jesus. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that, listen, you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul says, this matters to me. Whatever's going on, I want you to know this. I want you to stand firm in one spirit, striving together. Striving would indicate there's, this doesn't come naturally. We gotta work at this. Striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Skip down to verse one of chapter two. Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from, here it is, being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Make me happy, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He addresses unity here, and I'm gonna unpack that in just a second. Paul says, make my joy complete by looking like, sounding like, living like you are actually one in Christ. And then verse three of chapter two. There are a lot of great verses in Philippians. This is one of my all-time favorite. Verse three says, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Do you have any idea, idea how radically impacting this one admonition from Paul would be to the church, to our culture, if we literally live this out every day? How it would impact your family, how it would impact your marriage, how it would impact a relationship you have with your kids or with your parents, how it would impact a relationship with your friends or the people you work with. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Sounds a little the opposite of what I see going on in our culture right now. Rather, in humility, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests. It's not about you, not just what you care about, but each of you to the interests of others. Be otherly. At least seven times here in this brief passage I read, Paul refers to the issue, talks about the issue of unity. Verse 27 of chapter one, stand firm in one spirit, strive together as one. Chapter two, verse one, be united in Christ. Practice a common sharing in the spirit. Verse two, be like-minded, have the same love. Be one in spirit and one mind. One spirit, one Lord, one purpose, and one mind. Now, by the way, people say, well, you said we could be diverse, and now you say we have to be one. Listen, one in purpose, one in mind means we have one person we serve, one Lord, and we follow him, and we are to advance the kingdom. And it's about loving God and loving people. And on that, we must agree. We must be one. We must function together. And everything else below that is, is not nearly as important as being of one heart, one mind. We serve one Lord. We have one purpose, to advance the kingdom, to love Jesus, to love people. That's it. This was a very common challenge by the Apostle Paul. He said this in other places. To the church in Corinth, he wrote this. 1 Corinthians uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you. He's begging. I beg you. Brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all, love the word there, all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Perfectly united in your purpose. To the church in Ephesus, he wrote this in Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 6. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Listen, we can be vastly different in our particular political views. Quite frankly, I really don't care whether you're a Republican or Democrat because that's secondary to we are Christians and we are Christ followers and we belong to a greater kingdom. We can be very diverse in our social, economic, and ethnic realities. That's okay too. But, listen, we are to live as one, one heart, one mind, because we have one Lord and one purpose. I could talk about this a lot, but a couple weeks ago, I had this crazy idea and uh, decided to have coffee with some friends of mine. One of them is a guy named Roddy McCauley and another is John Forbes. I'll introduce them in just a minute. But in having coffee with these brothers separately, individually, it became very apparent to me they're way smarter than I am. They know way more than I am. They're way more passionate about this than I am, and I'm learning from them. 
I love it when I'm instructed, when I'm taught, when I enter into a relationship where I get to sit and go, wow, I didn't think about that. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, you're right, that's stupid. I need to think this way. These guys have been a blessing to me, a great blessing. Rodney's the Church and Community Engagement Director for Spokane Youth for Christ. Uh, he's been in this town for many years. He's a dear friend. He's spoken here a long time ago. We've known each other for a long time. We both have great beards. A long time we've known each other. John is another good friend and someone who has spoken here as well uh, many years ago. He's an international speaker. He's an actor, a singer, a great singer. I did hear you singing again. Thanks, John. He's got a great voice. He's a director, producer. Uh, he's the former HIV AIDS educator. And he's the founder and director of Agape, which stands for a Global AIDS Perspective Enterprise. These are two amazing men. And I'd like you to welcome them right now. Come on up, guys. Thanks again, guys, for being here and being a part of this um, and for sharing your heart with us. I think the hard part sometimes in the second service is, what did I say in that first service? But uh, I trust the Holy Spirit to speak to you as he already has. Uh, before we get started, I'm gonna start with you, Rodney, because uh, you're closest to me, I'll pick on you first. But I wanna watch this video together, watch this. I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the shameful tragedies that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hours in Christian America. Uh, I definitely think the Christian church should be integrated and any church that uh, stands against integration and that has a segregated body is standing against the spirit and the teachings of Jesus Christ and it fails to be a true witness. Uh, but this is something that the church will have to do itself. I don't think church integration will come through uh, legal processes. I might say that my church is not a segregating church. It's segregated, but not segregating. It would welcome white members. For many, many years, um, that guy's been a hero to me. I read uh, his autobiographies, in fact, a couple of them. Uh, I remember the day he died. I was 11 years old. I just turned 11, and in April of 1968, uh, he was assassinated. And I remember how I wept and cried over that loss. Now, he, he was far from perfect, everybody, but so uh, I, by the way. But a man who uh, loved God and loved people and loved this country. And he addressed something that, unfortunately, 48-some years later, 49 years later, is still an issue. And so, Rodney, I got a mouthful here in this first question. I'm just going to dump it on you, and you can go wherever you want, okay? Yeah. Should Christian churches be uniracial or multiracial? I think that's a good question. And why do you think the church continues for so long now to still be segregated? And most importantly, what can we do? What would you say to us that we can do to walk in unity? First of all, Kurt, East Point, John, thank you for the privilege of being here with you to process these questions to have this discussion just as a launching pad for what I trust and pray will be ongoing yeah. um, interaction and learning mutually. Um, I maintain that um, we are in a unique season um, as a globe, as a nation, as a region, as the church, which I believe uh, and maintain is the hope of the world. Yeah. Amen. Um, and so with that as a preface, um, I would say, um, first of all, that um, there is one race, the human race, um, and race, amen. You can say amen or clap. And, and with that, um, in answer to the question, uh, should the church be uniracial? Yes. Uh, or should the church be multiracial? Yes, with the qualifier that I would say multi-ethnic, more so than race. Um, and I'm reminded of Revelation 7, 9, where he talks about what heaven is going to look like, and we're called to bring heaven to earth. Every he tribe, every say tongue. Every nation, yeah. every tribe, every tongue. Yes, sir. And so with that, um, I am reminded that race is a social construct. It is not biological. It is man-made. Um, and so my heart uh, is to see us... Um, as the ecclesia, the Big C Church, do some deconstructing before reconstructing. That's good. Jeremiah 1.9 comes yep. to mind where the prophetic call um, on him, 
uh, on us as the church was to root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down, and then build and plant. Second um, Chronicles 7:14, which is a well-known, well-worn, um, almost cliche-ish scripture. Um, I think it's very pertinent in our hour in our season. Second Chronicles 7:14 says, "If my people." who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Um, so answer to that question, is the church called to be multiracial? Yes. And I would say also the big C church, because particularly in a place like Spokane, particularly yeah. in a place like even East Point, where I, who have been here, along with my wife and I um, for 25 years or oftentimes like raisins in a bowl of milk. Um, <laughs> it would not be. You got it. They, they needed a little bit of help in first This service. is the fully caffeinated yeah, service. Okay. They, have All right. oh, yeah. oh, they must have warned you. Somebody must have warned you a little bit. Um, but, but to say that a congregation should be multi ethnic or multiracial is impractical, unrealistic with the demographics. But when we consider that even the Bible says that there is in a city or in a region, in an area, one church made up of many congregations, then yes, we need to collectively be mindful and thoughtful along those ways. Good. Okay. So, so why are we not? Because we, if we're honest with ourselves, have drifted away from relationships and intentionality. We don't know each other or we don't trust each other and sometimes a combination of both. Yeah. Okay. So the answer to that, what do we do about it after we've acknowledged it or to the extent that we acknowledge it, I would frame three ways, seven C's, three stories, and what I call relational evangelism. So this is gonna help us unpack that. how that relational intentionality happens. Okay. Okay, good. Seven C's, and I think they're gonna put it up there. Um, continuous, Covenantal, courageous conversations create caring communities. Caring That's communities good. is a Bridget. play on Martin Luther King's beloved community. Um, create is an action word. We cannot just talk about stuff, but we start with conversations with each other, but they must translate into action. And we are being pressed in this hour to take some action, even if we make some mistakes. And those mistakes happen, and the way that we address them is by continuously, covenantally, having courageous conversations. I mentioned earlier that my wife and I are into our 40th year of marriage. Um, she is from Compton, California, where they say, um, she, I say she will cut you in love. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, and that's a real deal, straight out of Compton. Straight All right? out. And I'm from Tacoma, Washington, and we're from different places. We have a lot of similarities, but we maintain that even though we're different, if we were the same, one of us would not be necessary. All right, and so you, you consider yeah. that in the context of the body, we are covenantally connected. The ships are burning, we're in it to win it, as must we as the church. And so we, on occasion, every once in a while, have some courageous conversations. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay, so seven C's. Three story is borrowed from the ministry that I have the privilege of serving, Youth Christ, and we have a model for the work that we do with kids 11 to 19 years old that's called Three Story, and in essence, Three Story is hearing the kids' stories, meeting them where they are, understanding what's beneath the surface of who they are and why they are, and then finding ways creatively, prayerfully, strategically to share our stories as staff and as volunteers, and then linking those two to God's story. Mm, Three good. story, beautiful model. And so in the context even of these types of conversations, in order to rebuild trust or to earn trust, we need to know each other's stories, which means that we need to listen more than we speak. Yeah. All right. Really? And so yeah. along those lines is where the relational evangelism comes in. We've talked and we do talk about going from here to there. In order to get to there, the preferred future, we need to take some time and revisit or learn how we got to where we are. I think I said something. Amen, lights. Amen, yeah. Okay. Well, and let me just, so, I want to pick back up that. And I'm going to quit. Okay, go. Well, because, Roddy, you and I have talked about this, and the thing I want you guys to hear what he just said is you need to hear. It starts with we hear their story. Most of us, me included, we want to start with telling our story. And then we want to tell, you know, God's story. We, we need to stop and first hear why, what's going on in the hearts and the lives of people around us, especially our, our, our brothers and sisters of color. 
Yeah. So that's great, man. Keep, keep it going. Okay. Well, that's it for now. No, no, that's okay. okay. <laughs> well, let's take it further then. Let's yeah, talk okay. about, you know, the, um, the fact that you're an African-American Christian. And I, I love the fact in our conversation, I said to Rodney, Rodney, help educate me. And, and I, I would encourage you, find some people that are different than you and say, educate me. Help me understand, help me see this world and, and uh, your experience from your eyes, through your eyes. But as an African-American Christian, how do you feel about the growing and obvious racial tension in our country and specifically uh, the Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah. Some time ago, prior to the movement, this BLM movement, uh, I asked the Lord to um, break my heart for the things that break his heart. Uh, you got to be careful when you ask that type yeah. of question. Um, because as things have been progressing, as they have been escalating, uh, my heart honestly um, has been breaking. And it continues to break um, almost with each passing day and every time the conversation comes up and it's been coming up quite a bit lately because of things that are going on. But with that, um, I'm also reminded that he is the healer of yeah. the broken heart. Yeah. Okay, so as it relates to um, Black Lives Matter movement, um, my heart is breaking, but at the same time, I'm very encouraged because I am experiencing, um, even this morning, for example, that we are um, in a season where that which has been there all along that has been masked or hidden or marginalized or minimized um, is surfacing and we're being given an opportunity as painful yeah. as it is to address it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, as, and particularly as the church, as the Big C Church. Um, you made reference earlier to a conversation that we had uh, a couple weeks ago where uh, part of the response or default response to Black Lives Matter is all lives matter. Yeah, in fact, let me just confess, I posted a, 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 a pin on Pinterest, and it, it, one of my most shared, and you know, whatever that means, but uh, I said, it was a picture of a black man praying, it says Black Lives Matter, uh, Blue Lives Matter, All Lives Matter. And uh, I asked Randy, I said, how do you feel about that? And it, his insight, his uh, speaking to me, the truth and love really challenged me. Yeah, of course we believe all lives matter. Of course we believe blue lives matter. But what he helped me understand, and I am so grateful for this, I'm, I'm beginning to understand, yeah. is that uh, it's not, it's, it's when we say something, yeah, but, that we actually diminish or we're, we're making light of the, the power, the need for black people in America to be understood. And this isn't a new problem. It's just surfacing now in a way that, that we're seeing it more frequently and more often. And to not understand what it feels like, and he's beginning to help me understand what it's like in this country to live in a, in a, in a city, in a, a neighborhood where you have no uh, hope, no job, very little educational possibilities. Unless you're a basketball stud mm -hmm. or a football player, you may spend the rest of your life there. And the, the discouragement, the frustration that's happening, I don't think, in fact, I'm sure most of us white folk don't understand. We don't get it. Right. And so we need to hear, we need to understand. And I, I repent of, of not listening to the fact that, yes, black lives matter, and I need to engage in a conversation and say, rather, well, yeah, but all lives matter. And you say, help me understand. Yeah. Help me understand why that matters to you, what I need to see that I'm not seeing. Yeah. And you, so I, thank you for correcting me. Yeah, and let me just say, just in brief to uh, share space with my brother John, even along those lines, say this, um, as I said, um, to Kurt, um, an example. First of all, um, fear is part of the reason why we don't know each yep. other, why we don't have some of these types of conversations, but out of relationship and out of intentionality, we can go there covenantally, courageously. Yep. And the example that comes to mind is that when folks say, well, all lives matter, is similar or parallel to saying um, as dominant culture, as white folks, um, that you don't see color. I hear that all the time, I understand it, and I appreciate it, but there's the but. When you say that you don't see color, then that is minimizing or marginalizing the reality that some of us can't escape it. Yeah. All right, and so um, the idea is, no, you need to see color. 
okay? But in needing to see color, we need to recognize also that it's about more than just color. Again, yeah. race is a social construct, yeah. okay? But we have an opportunity to go Black Lives Matters, all lives matter, blue lives matter. And I would just add to that something that I heard from an interview with the um, mayor and the police chief of Dallas doing that tragedy that words matter, okay? Mm -hmm. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Yep. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, all right? And so we need to have hearts healed. We need to be talking to each other differently because words do matter, amen? Yes. Okay, and then leadership matters. All right, and the greatest leader of them all, the one who we serve and follow, the one who we're becoming increasingly intimate with, and out of intimacy with him, we destroy all the works of the devil. Yeah. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Yeah. And we're called to, like Paul said, follow him, yeah. okay, as he follows Christ. Yep, yeah. amen, right. Thank you, man. So we're learning together, yeah. bro. Yeah, and thank you for being a teacher and a brother to me. Yep. You know, besides the ethnic tensions in our country, uh, there continues to be um, a growing and a deep divide over sexuality, uh, specifically over sexual orientation, uh, preference, and experience. Now, John, you and I have talked about this before. You actually spoke here many years ago at East Point. Uh, you and I both believe and teach that the practice of homosexuality is a sin, but being attracted to the same sex is not. And you delineate between that in a way that I appreciate. And if you know that, doesn't, do not know what that means, you come talk to, to John or me afterwards and we'd love to explain that to you. But you and I expressed, and we were over at For, uh, Forza, and you expressed some deep, uh, frustrating concern over the status of the church, especially with this issue and how we are treating those who wrestle with same sex attraction. So here's the question. What would you say to Christ followers about this issue? And specifically, uh, what would you like us to understand uh, as a church relating to gay people. Thanks, Kurt. Good morning, everyone. Um, the first thing I would say is that most of us as human beings, we typically fear what we don't understand. And um, 1 John 4.18 says, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear, which means if you're walking in perfect love, fear can't coexist. Yeah. It has to go away. And so you might say to yourself, well, what is perfect love? Jesus Christ is perfect love. He's God's expression of that to us here on the earth. And the thing is, as believers, we get to follow him, be in relationship with him. The more we are, the more we reflect that character and the fragrance of who Christ is to the people that we come in contact with. That would be the goal for us as the church here on earth. When you actually look at what's happening in the world right now, um, with so much shifting taking place really rapidly. It feels like we've moved from the shores into whitewater. You look around the world and there's governments that are transitioning. There's all kinds of challenges for power. If you look in our own culture, there's a revolution taking place on many levels. When it comes to sexuality, a lot of the traditional roles and ways that we've looked at sexual, sex and sexuality is completely changed what you consider to be a man or a woman. Now, there are you know, individuals who question their own sexuality, their own gender. We have conversations around who's gonna go in whose bathroom. And it's like, it seems crazy on one level when you start to try and process all of that. There's a natural response to wanna shrink back and say, I don't even know what to say, or I'm afraid of that and you wanna run and hide. The thing is, we're not, this isn't 1950. We can't go back to Chachi and Fonzie. This is 2016. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? This is where God has placed us as the church. And you're like, what was he thinking? But this is how we get to enter in and represent who he is. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, um, uh, there's been kind of a lot that's been sown into the gay community over the years. And Rodney has said, you know, a lot of stuff is coming to the surface now. And um, God is also wanting to get into kind of core ideologies. But for instance, if you lived in a neighborhood and you knew someone lived, a gay person lived at a house and you just drove by and rolled down the window and yelled things at them every time you passed. And then after about six months, you say, why don't you come on over to dinner? And then you're just all upset because they don't come. 
because it's like there's no relationship. Much of the time, people in the gay community have heard what we believed, and they know what we think about homosexuality, but they don't know that God loves them, yeah. that Jesus died for them. Yeah. And I think that for us, part of what we need to do as a church is get to a point of where we stop saying what we believe and we start reflecting the person of who Jesus is. Yep, same. That's a, yeah. Right. And um, I think there's another element where it's like, you know, um, uh, when you talk about just the theology side of things, of how people kind of arrive and believe what they do, for... Um, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh, so is he. And our belief systems are basically reflecting in the way that we act. So if you want to act different, you need to change the way that you think. And I think about myself when I first started to read in the Bible what it said about homosexuality. The first time it's mentioned is in Leviticus 20, 13. And it says, if a man lies with a man as with a woman, it's an abomination, that word abomination is a strong word. And the thing is, most, most people you know, stop at that scripture and don't do any other study in regards to their theological perspective on what this is. So homosexuality becomes synonymous with the word abomination as Tiffany is to diamonds, right? And it wasn't until I read further many years down the road that four-legged uh, creatures that have wings are also an abomination. That would be mosquitoes. And shellfish are also an abomination. Thank you, Rodney. And um, that doesn't mean that, you know, there's a difference between a mosquito and the way we behave towards one another. It doesn't discount that. But what it does is it begins to take away some of the weight that's put on that particular word because we've dehumanized many people in the gay community. We say it's not what you do is wrong, but who you are is wrong, and that is wrong. Mm -hmm. yep. God loves us. He died for people. It says in the word, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And for someone in the gay community, like if they come into a church and all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, they experience certain attitudes, or even somebody says, you know, God loves you, but not your sin. It's really hard to separate sometimes for the gay community what that means. If you're a thief and you stole something, you could say, okay, stop taking those things that don't belong to you, right? But who you are as a person is separate from that behavior. But when the Bible says that, you know, homosexual sex is sinful, okay, you understand that. You're not participating in the act, but internally you're still drawn that way. And it takes years for God to really unpack those things. I'm 55 and I started this journey when I was 12 years old. And I'm still growing and learning, realizing I'm not my sin. I'm who the word of God says that I am. Yep. I have a spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in me. He gives me life and power to live beyond the things that I might be drawn to. But I know that because I'm inside these walls of the church. If you're outside the walls of the church, you're not going to embrace that heavy theology. You need to meet the person of Jesus Christ first, yep. not the list of all the things you're doing wrong. Yep. That's our job as a church. Yep. Amen. You know, we've talked about this, and I, one of the things I loved about your frankness with me over coffee was you know, the church has made this the sin, and we tend to treat people that way because it's the sin. And we're not talking about, you know, I, I, I think part of it, you both mentioned the word fear, that fear is a part of what drives us. We're not talking about compromising the gospel. If you're a visitor today, you're a guest, trust me, we preach the word, we preach truth around here. But it's grace and truth. And by the way, it starts with grace, grace. and truth. And I, I, uh, I want you to understand that the issue for us is uh, there are a whole lot of things the Bible says are sinful. One of the things he mentioned, <laughs> and I'd laugh when he said it, was what would it be like if we put scales in the lobby of every church? And if you walked in, you had to weigh yourself, and if you were fat, we, you said, well, we love you, but lose 20 pounds. <laughs> That's the way we treat people. That's the way we treat them. And what we need is, but wait, here's the perspective we need. Yeah, being overweight, I'm, I'm obese, I'm fat, I am. Being overweight is not good. It, in fact, is a sin. Being proud, by the way, is a sin. Being divisive is a sin. There's so many things in the Bible. No, don't go there. Here's our hope. 
Here's where we have to put our focus is what John was saying. We look to Jesus. We focus on Jesus. And we read this a couple weeks ago, Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will complete it. We need to trust God, the Holy Spirit, to change people and stop trying to be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. We need to stop trying to give them a list and say, well, because the second we say, I love you, but, and we say, well, we give you unconditional love, but I love you, but, it's no longer unconditional. The minute you add a but, it's, it's a, there's a condition. And so I so appreciate your frustration, and believe me, rightfully so, there's some frustration with the church, capital C at large right now, and I don't wanna be that church. I wanna be people who focus on loving them, being Jesus to them, and trusting Jesus to work in their life. Do you think, here's another question, and we'll shift gears here, that we worry too much about theological compromise and not about loving compassion when it comes to dealing with the gay community? Yeah, I think that there's some of it is where it's almost like, um, as I said, you know, we've dehumanized the gay community, like there's no, people don't have any value until they come to the Lord. Um, The Bible says that we were created in God's image and we were not just good, but it was very good. That was a big eye-opener for me to actually believe that intrinsically, I had value before I even repented. Yep, amen. Yep. I was created in God's image. That means, I mean, you know, we're worthy of respect. People are worthy of respect. And to be, you know, loved and, and, and um, in that way because they're created in God's image. I think because there's so much fear and there's all these other issues that have surrounded the way we've looked at the issue of homosexuality and then a lot of kind of Old Testament maybe legalistic mindsets about that particular sin that to actually be around people in the gay community, you feel like you're compromising if you just associate with someone. Well, that happens somewhere else. I think in the Bible somewhere, (laughs) Jesus said, what? You hang out with publicans and sinners? Oh, what a concept. Anyway, that's, you know, that's where the world's at. And um, I think it's that sense of, it really reveals nothing about the sin and brokenness of the world. It reveals weak theology. You think you're only good and righteous when you're in the four walls and you're around people and everything's Christian, carpet, Christian, everything, right? (laughs) And the only thing is, um, Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? If I rise on the wings of the dawn, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, hell, even there your hand can guide me. There's nowhere I can go from your presence. If there is nowhere we can go where God isn't and nothing intimidates him, then why would we have any fear approaching people? The reason is we're not rooted and established in the love of Jesus Christ and knowing who he is and who we are. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father right now with all this craziness going on. He's not pacing back and forth saying, I hope we win. (laughs) Come on. And when he's in that place, and we know that, and we're looking to him in that place, there should be that sense of peace and calm. We move in a place of purpose towards a very broken world. We're not just trying to tiptoe around where we can get out without anybody bumping into us. So. That's good, John, thank you, that's awesome. In the time that I have with these guys uh, separately and, and coffee, uh, both of them brought up the kingdom of God. And I, I remember when it happened the second time, I thought, wow, I think maybe Jesus is trying to say something to me. But they both landed on the, the fact that we have a higher identity and that we have a higher purpose and it is to, to serve the kingdom. And I just want you guys, we'll start with you, Roddy, just to unpack how unity is tied to our understanding of what we share in common as people who belong to the kingdom. Yeah, the word transcendence comes. Um, you said grace and truth, truth and love, yeah. a grace or a truth sandwich, if you will. Um, transcendence, he who is seated in the heavenly places has likewise seated us in those very same heavenly places. Yeah. Um, and so who is the us? Every nation, every tongue, every tribe. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the midst of our diversity. And um, I am actually growing in my level of hope, biblical hope, um, that we again are in a season um, to see 
the needle move down the road, an approximation of consummation. Okay, we know that Jesus is coming back again. We don't know where, when, or how. Okay, pre, mid, post, I say pan. It's going to pan out in there. Okay, yeah. Um, and we know in part and we prophesy in point. Uh, prophesy in part. Um, but he asked us, he instructed us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here now with us. Um, and even the fact that I have the privilege of sitting between the two of you and connecting and meeting a new brother um, who, by the way, Black Lives Matter, um, it was founded by two individuals, two out of the three founders uh, wrestle with same-sex attraction, but they embrace it. Now, as a orthodox believing Christian, I have to practice co-belligerence with them, which is a kingdom principle or concept um, borrowed from Francis Schaeffer and Chuck Colson, where we don't agree on everything, but we find that which is transcendent. We find that with which we can agree, okay, salvation in the name of the Lord. So it's not just proclamation or demonstration, which is a false dichotomy, it's both yeah. proclamation and demonstration. It's so game kingdom, on. That's where this transcendent, we're above and beyond this yeah. realm. Come on. And we are transcended in our relationship under the kingdom. And we're That's called good. to engage in this realm, good, good. to change this realm. How about you, John? Yeah, for me, the kingdom um, is a, a very profound in many ways. Um, I actually looked it up, and in the book of Matthew, it's mentioned 37 times. And in the four Gospels, Jesus mentioned the kingdom of God 87 times. The kingdom is very radical. Jesus came and said, you've heard this, but I'm telling you this. Like when he said, um, you know, love your neighbor uh, and hate your enemies, Jesus said, I tell you, love your um, neighbor, and, but pray for your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them to your left. You know, if somebody asks you to go one mile with them, go five. If they want your coat, give them your cloak also. That is radical when you think about walking that out. That is not an American thing. That's not a Western thing. We're gonna sue you and it's like, who's, what's your name? Write them down. My lawyer's gonna call you all. You know, we're ready to get up in everybody's grill. The fact of the matter is what you see happening in the earth, there's heavy stuff going on spiritually when you see this shift. And the future of what's coming, there is no way you're gonna be able to be a nominal Christian. Yeah, preach it. The only way we're going to be able to manifest in that squeeze, that white water, that pressure, is if we're willing to die to ourselves and not react in the flesh Come what on. comes natural, but to actually be willing to submit to Christ and allow there to be a cross in the center of our Christianity. Because yeah. when we submit to him, God gives us the power to walk in a way beyond what our natural inclination is. But you have to embrace that. That means you also have to let go of some kind of, some of the pharisaical mindsets where we're just yelling out what the Bible says. And there's truth there, but it's like people, really, they've heard it. It's on the web, they've heard it. You know what I'm saying? And it's not like, oh, we need a new message. But it's like, stop talking and start living that yeah, way, amen. right? Yeah, amen, yeah. amen. <laughs> yes, sir. I told you these guys are smart. I love them both, that's awesome. Listening to you, relating to you guys, beginning this journey uh, brings great hope to me. Uh, I, I, need to, I didn't do this the first service, but I felt prompted by the Lord to ask both of you to forgive me for my arrogance, my sin, my selfishness, my stupidity. Uh, would you forgive me? And forgive the church. You know, we wanna grow. Uh, this church, we're committed. I, I, as the senior pastor, tell you we're committed to the journey to the transcendent journey, to the, the courageous conversations, to the listening and learning, to the kingdom. Uh, that's what we're about, and that's what we're gonna do. So give it up one more time for these guys. Thank you so much for being here. I just wanna wrap it up. We're actually not gonna finish with a closing song today for the sake of time, but I, I do wanna read to you uh, something that reveals to us how important this issue is. I said at the beginning it was important to me, I hope you know that, important to Paul, obviously he addresses it multiple times, but it matters to Jesus a great deal. And here's what Jesus prayed in, in John 17. And I, I tell you, every time I read this, it breaks my heart. 
Because I think about the distance between where we should be and where we are. Jesus said, my prayer is praying to the Father. My prayer is not for them alone, for his current group of disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. That's us. I pray that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world, listen to this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You know why this is a big deal to Jesus? Why unity matters to him? Because, listen, he said that the world has a right to judge whether the Father sent the Son based on our unity. That scares the crap out of me. And yet it also encourages me, because I think we're at, at the precipice of what could be the greatest time ever in the church. It's now. We have a time to make a difference. We can stand firm together, embracing truth, but making love what matters above all, loving as he loved and being one. Jesus said, may they be also in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That's astounding. That, here it is, they may be one as we are one. In verse 23, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, look, look at it, then, then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I want the world to look at East Point. I want this valley to look at East Point. I want where we go to Guatemala this next week to look at East Pointers and to see our unity, to see our love for one another, our diversity, our difference, Republicans, Democrats, and everybody else. Different views of the end times. I'm with Rodney, I'm a pan, you know, I, We'll see how it all pans out, but different views, and yet we love one another. It's time for the church to demonstrate unity to a watching world. It's time for some to let go. Some of you, as I confess to you today, I need to let go of some sinful attitudes and just some divisive practices. It's time for us to engage in a conversation. It's time for us to say, I want to learn. Help me grow. Show me where I have blinders on. Show me where I'm nearsighted. Show me what I don't get. Help me understand, brother, sister, what I don't see, what I don't know. I want to grow. It's time for the church to repent. And I know that's a word that's often used in a harsh, harsh way. It's a great word. It means a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. Change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. And I want the world to look at us and to say, wow, there must be a Father. There must be a Jesus. And remember what Paul said, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament, certainly one of his most famous in, in 1 Corinthians 13. He said that without love, nothing else matters. I know some of you are thinking, oh, we've got to stand for truth. Listen, if you don't have love, then nothing matters. Nothing else matters without love. And Jesus prayed that our unity would be so demonstrated in our practice in our life, in our relationships, our intentional relationships with one another, that the world will go, wow, I want to know that God. I want to know that Jesus. One of the things that um, I heard recently, in fact, a guy named Jason at East Hill in Portland talked about emulsification. Let me just explain to you. I was blown away by this. It was a great word picture. You take oil and water, you try to mix them, guess what? It doesn't work. Oil and water are never gonna mix on their own. We're talking about unity. We have oil and we got water. We got all sorts of things. And boy, some are just like that. Oil and water, they don't go together. But you bring in emulsifier, which simply means an agent that combines. And you have a, a unity. Did you know that mayonnaise is made with oil and water? And that the emulsifier is, here it is. This is really good. This, you're gonna remember this for the rest of your life. It's egg yolk. Who would have thunk? It's egg yolk. You throw egg yolk in with oil and water and blend it up, you've got an emulsifier that blends them into mayonnaise. And I love mayo. More than that, I love Jesus because guess what? He's the great emulsifier. He's the great emulsifier. He's the one who takes people from every tongue, every tribe, every social background, every experience of life, everything, and he says, just come to me, come to me, and I'll make you one. 
Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, it does uh, astound me that you created the church. This was your idea. And if we could only understand how powerful it is to a watching world when we lock arms and love one another and grow, and even in our diversity, even in our differences, even in our theological differences, Lord, even in our experiences and practices and our social economic backgrounds, even in all those areas, Lord, when they see us loving one another, they, they cannot deny the fact that there must be a God. They can argue with our theology. They can argue with our scripture. They, they can argue with a lot of things, but they cannot argue with love. And Lord, I pray for East Point. I pray for the church in Spokane Valley and Spokane County. I pray for the church in America. I pray for the church throughout the world, which in many places, other places of the world, Lord, they, they've, they've got this so much better than we do in America. We are so arrogant and so proud and so cocky and so, so stuck on our thing that we don't stop to love first. Lord, teach us to love. Help us to, to grow, to become learners, to be listeners. Make us one. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've been investing in Christianity for a while. Or maybe this is your first time and you say, wow, I, if that's what it means to be a Christian, if that's what it means to be a part of the church, then I'm all in. I want that. That's the kind of God I want to have in my life. And if, if the Holy Spirit today has just brought you to a place where you are ready to say yes, to surrender your life to him. I know you've got questions. I know there are things you still wonder about. That's okay, so do I. But if you get it, you realize you need God, you need a savior, and that's you, then I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer right now. And I wanna give you this opportunity to make this prayer yours, to make this a moment. Listen, it's an eternal moment, a moment that will change your destiny forever. And if you're ready today to begin your life as a Christ follower, just make this prayer yours right now. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. I needed a savior, I need forgiveness, I need grace, I need mercy. And I get it. Jesus, you died for my sins on that cross. And right here, right now, in this moment, I surrender my life to you. You gave your life up for me, so right now I'm giving my life up to you. I wanna know you. I wanna be in relationship with you. I wanna grow. I wanna become the man or the woman that you've created me to be. I need you, God. I need you. I need your help. And so I surrender my life to you right now. Now, if that's you, whether you're in this room or watching online, just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's, that's what I want. That's what I need. And the Bible says that instant, that moment you do, you become his child. You have a new identity. You're now part of the kingdom. You're a child of the king. Lord, way more than I can, reveal to them what this means, what you've done, what you're going to do, and, and seal in their hearts that they are loved, that they leave here today changed by your grace. But Lord, help us all all to leave here today loving you and loving one another in a way that changes us and changes our world. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's see if you need prayer. There'll be prayer team down front. Rodney and John will be around for a while. If you want to pick their brains or uh, talk to them. There's communion available on both sides of the room. That's always there. Uh, but here's my prayer. For my challenge for you is go now just think about oneness. Go live it this week. Go walk in it. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here.